Chapter Twenty One of the Empire of Russia, from the Remotest Periods to the Present Time. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Bascom. The Empire of Russia from the Remotest Periods to the Present Time by John S. C. Abbott. Chapter Twenty One. The Trial and Condemnation of Alexis and Death of the Tsar From 1718 to 1725 The Tsar's Second Visit to Holland Reception in France Description of Catherine Domestic Grief Conduct of Alexis Letters from his father Flight to Germany Thence to Naples Envoys sent to bring him back Alexis excluded from the succession. His trial for treason. Condemnation and unexpected death. New efforts of the Tsar for the welfare of Russia. Sickness of Peter. His death. Succession of the Empress Catherine. Epitaph to the Emperor. From Holland the Tsar went to Paris. Great preparations were made there for his reception, and apartments in the Louvre were gorgeously fitted up for the accommodation of him and his suite. But Peter, annoyed by parade, declined the sumptuous palace, and, the very evening of his arrival, took lodgings at the Hotel de les Diguières. To those who urged his acceptance of the saloons of the Louvre, he replied, I am a soldier. A little bread and beer satisfy me. I prefer small apartments to large ones. I have no desire to be attended with pomp and ceremony, nor to give trouble to so many people. Every hour of his stay in Paris was employed in studying the institutions of the realm, and the progress made in the arts and sciences. Standing by the tomb of Richelieu, which is one of the finest pieces of sculpture in Europe, he exclaimed, Thou great man, I would have given thee one half of my domains to learn of thee how to govern the other half. All the trades and manufactures of the capital he examined with the greatest care, and took back with him to St. Petersburg a large number of the most skilful artists and mechanics. Leaving France, he returned to Amsterdam, where he rejoined Catherine, and proceeded with her to Berlin. A haughty German lady, piqued, perhaps, that a woman not of noble birth should be an empress, thus describes the appearance of Catherine at that time. The Tsarina is short and lusty, remarkably coarse, without grace and animation one need only see her to be satisfied of her low birth at the first blush one would take her for a german actress her clothes look as if bought at a doll shop everything was so old-fashioned and so bedecked with silver and tinsel she was decorated with a dozen orders portraits of saints and relics which occasioned such a clatter that when she walked one would suppose that an ass with bells was approaching the czar on the contrary was tall and well made his countenance is handsome but there is something in it so rude that it inspires one with dread. He was dressed like a seaman, in a frock, without lace or ornament. On Peter's return to Russia he was compelled to meet and grasp a trouble which for fifteen years had embittered his life. His son, Alexis, had ever been a thorn in his father's side. He was not only indolent and dissipated, but he was utterly opposed to all his father's measures for reform, and was continually engaged in underhand measures to head a party against him. Upon the death of the unhappy princess of Wolfenbuttel, wife of this worthless prince, the grieved and indignant father wrote to him as follows, 
I shall wait a little while longer to see if there be any hopes of your reform. If not, I shall cut you off from the succession, as one lops off a dead branch. Do not think that I wish to intimidate you, and do not place too much reliance upon the fact that you are my only son. If I am willing to lay down my own life for Russia, do you think that I shall be willing to sacrifice my country for you? I would rather transmit the crown to an entire stranger worthy of the trust than to my own child unworthy of it. This letter produced no effect upon the shameless debauchee. He continued unchecked in his career of infamy. In acknowledging the receipt of his father's letter, he contemptuously replied that he had no wish for the crown, and that he was ready at any time to take an oath that he would renounce it for ever. Matters were in this position when the Tsar left for Denmark. He had hardly arrived in Copenhagen when he received dispatches, informing him that his son was gathering around him all the disaffected, and was seriously endangering the tranquillity of the state. Once more the anxious father wrote to him in these words, I observe in your letter that you say not a word of the affliction your conduct has caused me for so many years. A father's admonitions seem to produce no impression upon you. I have prevailed on myself to write you once more, and for the last time. Those bushy beards blind you to their purposes. They are the persons whom you trust, who place their hopes in you, and you have no gratitude to him who gave you life. Since you were of age, have you ever aided your father in his toils? Have you not opposed everything I have done for the good of my people? Have I not reason to believe that should you survive me you will destroy all that I have accomplished? Amend your life, render yourself worthy of the succession, or turn monk. Reply to this, either in person or in writing. If you do not, I shall treat you as a criminal. The reply of Alexis was laconic indeed. It consisted of just four lines, and was as follows. Your letter of the nineteenth I received yesterday. My illness prevents me from writing at length. I intend to embrace the monastic life, and I request your gracious consent to that effect. Seven months passed away, during which the Tsar heard nothing directly from his son, though the father kept himself informed of his conduct. As Peter was returning from France, he wrote to his son, reproaching him for his long silence, and requesting him, if he wished to amend his ways and secure his father's favor, to meet him at Copenhagen. But that if, on the contrary, he preferred to enter a convent, which was the only alternative, he should inform him by the return courier that measures might be adopted to carry the plan immediately into effect. This brought matters to a crisis. The last thing the bloated debauchee wished was to enter a convent. He was equally averse to a sober life, and dared not meet his father, lest he should be placed under arrest. He consequently made no reply, but pretending that he was to set out immediately for Copenhagen, he secured all the treasure he could lay his hands upon and fled to Germany to the court of the emperor charles the sixth who it will be remembered was his brother-in-law having married a sister of his deceased wife here he told a deplorable story of the cruelty of his father of the persecutions to which he was exposed and that to save his life he had been compelled to flee from russia the emperor knowing full well that the young man was an infamous profligate was not at all disposed to incur the displeasure of peter by apparently espousing the cause of a son against the father he consequently gave the miscreant such a cold reception that he found the imperial palace anything but a pleasant place of residence, and again he set out on his vagabond travels. The next tidings his father heard of him were that he was in Naples, spending, as ever, his substance in riotous living. A father's heart still yearned over the miserable young man, and compassion was blended with disappointment and indignation. He immediately dispatched two members of his court, M. Romanzoff, captain of the royal guards, and M. Toltoy, a privy council, to Naples, to make a last effort to reclaim his misguided son. 
they found the young man in the chateau of st elm and presented to him a letter from his father it was dated spa july first seventeen seventeen and contained the following words i write to you for the last time toltoy and romanzoff will make known to you my will if you obey me i assure you and i promise before god that i will not punish you but if you will return to me i will love you better than ever but if you will not return to me i pronounce upon you as your father in virtue of the power i have received from god my eternal maldiction and as your sovereign i assure you that i shall find means to punish you in which i trust god will assist me it required the most earnest persuasion and even the intervention of the viceroy of naples to induce alexis to return to russia the miserable man had a harem of abandoned women with him with whom he set out on his return they arrived in moscow the thirteenth of february seventeen eighteen and on that very day peter had an interview with his son no one knows what passed in that interview the rumour of the arrival of alexis spread rapidly through the city and it was supposed that a reconciliation had taken place but the next morning at the earliest dawn the great bell of moscow rang an alarm the royal guards were marshalled and the privy councillors of the emperor were summoned to the kremlin alexis was led without his sword and as a prisoner into the presence of his father at the same time all the high ecclesiastics of the church were assembled in solemn conclave in the cathedral church alexis fell upon his knees before his father confessed his faults renounced all claim to the succession and entreated only that his life might be spared the czar led his son into an adjoining room where they for some time remained alone he then returned to his privy council and read a long statement very carefully drawn up minutely recapitulating the conduct of alexis his indolence his shameless libertinism his low companionship his treasonable designs and exhibiting his utter unfitness in all respects to be entrusted with the government of an empire this remarkable document was concluded with the following words now altogether our son by such criminal conduct merits the punishment of death yet our paternal affection induces us to pardon his crimes and to exempt him from the penalty which is his due but considering his unworthiness as developed in the conduct we have described we cannot in conscience bequeath to him the throne of russia foreseeing that by his vicious courses he would degrade the glory of our nation endanger its safety and speedily lose those provinces which we have recovered from our foes with so much toil and at so vast an expense of blood and treasure to inflict upon our faithful subjects the rule of such a sovereign would be to expose them to a condition worse than russia has ever yet experienced we do therefore by our paternal authority in virtue of which by the law of our empire any of our subjects may disinherit a son and give his succession to such other of his sons as he pleases and in quality of sovereign prince in consideration of the safety of our dominions we do deprive our son alexis for his crimes and unworthiness of the succession after us to our throne of russia and we do constitute and declare successor to the said throne after us our second son peter we lay upon our said son alexis our paternal curse if ever at any time he pretends to or reclaims such succession and we desire our faithful subjects whether ecclesiastics or seculars of all ranks and conditions and the whole russian nation in conformity to this our will to acknowledge our son peter as lawful successor and to confirm the whole by oath before the holy altar upon the holy gospel kissing the cross and all those who shall ever oppose this our will and shall dare to consider our son alexis as successor we declare traitors to us and to their country we have ordered these presents to be everywhere promulgated that no person may pretend ignorance given at moscow february third seventeen eighteen 
This document was then taken to the cathedral, where all the higher ecclesiastics had been assembled, and was read to them. Nothing was omitted which could invest the act with solemnity. There is every evidence that the heart of the father was rent with acutest anguish in all these proceedings. Nothing could have been more desirable to him than to transmit the empire his energies had rendered so illustrious to his own son to carry on the enterprises his father had commenced. But to place eighteen millions of people in the hands of one who had proved himself so totally unworthy would have been the greatest cruelty. The exclusion of Alexis from the succession was the noblest act of Peter's life. But new facts were soon developed which rendered it impossible for the unhappy father to stop even here. Evidence came to light that Alexis had been plotting a conspiracy for the dethronement of his father, and for the seizure of the crown by violence. His mother, whom the Tsar had repudiated, and his energetic aunt, Mary, both of whom were in a convent, were involved in the plot. He had applied to his brother-in-law, the Emperor of Germany, for foreign troops to aid him. There were many restless spirits in the empire, turbulent and depraved, the boon companions of Alexis, who were ready for any deeds of desperation which might place Alexis on the throne. The second son of the emperor, the child of Catherine, was an infant of but a few months old. The health of Peter was infirm and his life doubtful. It was manifest that immediately upon the death of the Tsar Alexis would rally his accomplices around him, raise the banner of revolt against the infant king, and that thus the empire would be plunged into all the horrors of a long and bloody civil war. Peter, having commenced the work of self-sacrifice for the salvation of Russia, was not disposed to leave that work half accomplished. All knew that the infamous Alexis would shrink from no crime, and there was ample evidence of his treasonable plots. The father now deliberately resolved to arraign his son for high treason, a crime which doomed him to death. Aware of the awful solemnity of such a moment, and of the severity with which his measures and his motives would be sifted by posterity, he proceeded with the greatest circumspection. A high court of justice was organized for the trial, consisting of two chambers, the one ecclesiastical, the other secular. On the 13th of June, 1718, the court was assembled, and the Tsar presented to them the documentary evidence, which had been carefully obtained, of his son's treasonable designs, and thus addressed them. Though the flight of Alexis, the son of the Tsar, and a part of his crimes be already known, yet there are now discovered such unexpected and surprising attempts as plainly show with what baseness and villainy he endeavoured to impose on us, his sovereign and his father, and what perjuries he hath committed against Almighty God, all which shall now be laid before you. Though, according to all laws, civil and divine, and especially those of this empire, which grant fathers absolute jurisdiction over their children, we have full power to judge our son according to our pleasure. Yet, as men are liable to prejudice in their own affairs, and as the most eminent physicians rely not on their own judgment concerning themselves, but call in the advice of others, so we, under the awful fear of displeasing God, make known our disease, and apply to you for a cure. As I have promised pardon to my son in case he should declare to me the truth, and though he has forfeited this promise by concealing his rebellious designs, yet, that we may not swerve from our obligation, we pray you to consider this affair with seriousness, and report what punishment he deserves without favour or partiality either to him or me. Let not the reflection that you are passing sentence on the son of your prince have any influence on you, but administer justice without respect of persons. Destroy not your own souls and mine by doing anything which may injure our country or upbraid our consciences in the great and terrible day of judgment. 
the evidence adduced against the young prince from his own confession and the depositions which had been taken were very carefully considered nearly a month being occupied in the solemnities of deliberation a verdict was finally rendered in the form of a report to the emperor it was a long carefully worded document containing a statement of the facts which the evidence substantiated against the culprit the conclusion was as follows it is evident from the whole conduct of the son of the czar that he intended to take the crown from the head of his father and place it upon his own not only by a civil insurrection but by the assistance of a foreign army which he had actually requested he has therefore rendered himself unworthy of the clemency promised by the emperor and since all laws divine ecclesiastical civil and military condemn to death without mercy not only those who attempt rebellion against their sovereign but those who are plotting such attempts what shall our judgment of one who has conspired for the commission of a crime almost unparalleled in history the assassination of his sovereign who was his own father a father of great indulgence who reared his son from the cradle with more than paternal tenderness who with incredible pains strove to educate him for government and to qualify him for the succession to so great an empire how much more imperatively does such a crime merit death it is therefore with hearts full of affliction and eyes streaming with tears that we as subjects and servants pronounce this sentence upon the son of our most precious sovereign lord the czar nevertheless it being his pleasure that we should act in this capacity we by these presents declare our real opinion and pronounce this sentence of condemnation with a pure conscience as we hope to answer at the tribunal of almighty god we submit however this sentence to the royal sovereign will and revisal of his imperial majesty our most merciful sovereign this sentence was signed by all the members of the court one hundred and eighty in number and on the sixth of july it was read to the guilty prince in the castle where he was confined the miserable young man enfeebled in body and mind by debaucheries was so overwhelmed with terror as his death warrant was read that he was thrown into convulsions all the night long fit succeeded fit as delirious with woe he moaned upon his bed in the morning a messenger was dispatched to the czar to inform him that his son was seriously sick in an hour another messenger was sent stating that he was very dangerously sick and soon a third messenger was dispatched with the intelligence that alexis could not survive the day and was very anxious to see his father peter scarce less wretched than his miserable son hastened to his room the dying young man at the sight of his father burst into tears confessed all his crimes and begged his father's blessing in this hour of death tears coursed down the cheeks of the stern emperor and he addressed his dying child in terms so pathetic and so fervently implored god's pardon for him that the stoutest hearts were moved and loud sobbings filled the room it was midday of the seventh of july seventeen eighteen the prince was confined in a large chamber of a stone castle which was at the same time a palace and a fortress there lay upon the couch the dying alexis bloated by the excesses of a life of utter pollution yet pale and haggard with terror and woe the iron-hearted father whose soul this sublime tragedy had melted sat at his side weeping like a child the guards who stood at the door the nobles and ecclesiastics who had accompanied the emperor were all unmanned many sobbing aloud overwhelmed by emotions utterly uncontrollable this scene stamps the impress of almost celestial greatness upon the soul of the czar he knew his son's weakness incompetency and utter depravity and even in that hour of agony his spirit did not bend and he would not sacrifice the happiness of eighteen millions of people through parental tenderness of his debauched and ruined child 
about six o'clock in the evening the wretched alexis breathed his last and passed from the tribunals of earth to the judgment seat of god the emperor immediately seemed to banish from his mind every remembrance of his crimes and his funeral was attended with all the customary demonstrations of affection and respect peter fully aware that this most momentous event of his life would be severely criticised throughout the world sent a statement of the facts to all the courts of europe in his letter which accompanied these statements he says while we were debating in our mind between the natural emotions of paternal clemency on one side and the regard we ought to pay to the preservation and the future security of our kingdom on the other and pondering what resolution to take in an affair of so great difficulty and importance it pleased the almighty god by his especial will and his just judgment and by his mercy to deliver us out of that embarrassment and to save our family and kingdom from the shame and the dangers by abridging the life of our said son alexis after an illness with which he was seized as soon as he had heard the sentence of death pronounced against him that illness appeared at first like an apoplexy but he afterwards recovered his senses and received the holy sacraments and having desired to see us we went to him immediately with all our counsellors and senators and then he acknowledged and sincerely confessed all his said faults and crimes committed against us with tears and all the marks of a true penitent and begged our pardon which according to christian and paternal duty we granted him after which on the seventh of july at six in the evening he surrendered his soul to god the czar endeavoured to efface from his memory these tragic scenes by consecrating himself with new energy to the promotion of the interests of russia utterly despising all luxurious indulgence he lived upon coarse fare occupied plainly furnished rooms dressed in the extreme of simplicity and devoted himself to daily toil with diligence which no mechanic or peasant in the realm could surpass the war still continued with sweden on the night of the twenty ninth of november of this year seventeen eighteen the madman charles the twelfth was instantly killed by a cannon-ball which carried away his head as he was leaning upon a parapet in the siege of frederick's hall in norway the death of this indomitable warrior quite changed the aspect of european affairs new combinations of armies arose and new labyrinths of intrigue were woven and for several years wars with their usual successes and disasters continued to impoverish and depopulate the nations of europe at length the czar effected a peace with sweden that kingdom surrendering to him the large and important provinces of livonia esthonia ingria and karelia this was an immense acquisition for russia with the utmost vigilance the czar watched the administration of all the internal affairs of his empire punishing fraud wherever found with unrelenting severity the enterprise which now above all others engaged his attention was to open direct communication by means of canals between st petersburg and the caspian sea the most skilful european engineers were employed upon this vast undertaking by which the waters of lake ladoga were to flow into the volga so that the shores of the baltic and distant persia might be united in maritime commerce the sacred scriptures were also by command of the emperor translated into the russian language and widely disseminated throughout the empire the russian merchants were continually receiving insults being plundered and often massacred by the barbaric tribes on the shores of the caspian peter fitted out a grand expedition from astrakhan for their chastisement and went himself to that distant city to superintend the important operations a war of twelve months brought those tribes into subjection and extended the russian dominion over vast and indefinite regions there catherine whom he seemed to love with all the fervour of youth accompanied him on this expedition 
returning to st petersburg in seventeen twenty four peter resolved to accomplish a design which he had for some time meditated of placing the imperial crown upon the brow of his beloved wife their infant son had died their grandson peter the son of alexis was still but a child and the failing health of the czar admonished him that he had not many years to live reposing great confidence in the goodness of catherine and in the wisdom of those counsellors whom with his advice she would select he resolved to transmit the sceptre at his death to her in preparation for this event catherine was crowned empress on the eighteenth of may seventeen twenty four with all possible pomp the city of petersburg had now become one of the most important capitals of europe peter was not only the founder of this city but in a great measure the architect an observatory for astronomical purposes was reared on the model of that in paris a valuable library was in the rapid progress of collection and there were several cabinets formed filled with the choicest treasures of nature and art there were now in russia a sufficient number of men of genius and of high literary and scientific attainment to form an academy of the arts and sciences the rules and institutes of which the emperor drew up with his own hand while incessantly engaged in these arduous operations the emperor was seized with a painful and dangerous sickness a strangury which confined him to his room for four months feeling a little better one day he ordered his yacht to be brought up to the neva opposite his palace and embarked to visit some of his works on lake ladoga his physicians vainly remonstrating against it accompanied him it was the middle of october the weather continuing fine the emperor remained upon the water visiting his works upon the shore of the lake and of the gulf of finland until the fifth of november the exposures of the voyage proved too much for him and he returned to petersburg in a state of debility and pain which excited the greatest apprehensions the disease made rapid progress the mind of the emperor as he approached the dying hour was clouded and with the inarticulate mutterings of delirium he turned to and fro restless upon his bed his devoted wife for three days and three nights did not leave his side and on the twenty eighth of january seventeen twenty five at four o'clock in the afternoon he breathed his last in her arms before the dethronement of his reason the czar had assembled around his bed the chief dignitaries of the empire and had requested them as soon as he should be dead to acknowledge the empress catherine as their sovereign he even took the precaution to exact from them an oath that they would do this peter died in the fifty-third year of his age none of the children whom he had by his first wife survived him both of the sons whom he had by the empress catherine were also dead two daughters still lived after the empress catherine the next heir to the throne was his grandson peter the orphan child of the guilty alexis immediately upon the death of the emperor the senate assembled and unanimously declared catherine empress of russia in a body they waited upon catherine with this announcement and were presented to her by prince Menshikov. the mourning for the czar was universal and heartfelt the remains were conveyed to the tomb with all the solemnities becoming the burial of one of the greatest monarchs earth has ever known over his remains the empress erected a monument sculptured by the most accomplished artists of italy containing the following inscription here lieth all that could die of a man immortal peter Alexvitz. it is almost superfluous to add great emperor of russia a title which instead of adding to his glory became glorious by his wearing it let antiquity be dumb nor boast her alexander or her caesar how easy was victory to leaders who were followed by heroes and whose soldiers felt a noble disdain at being thought less vigilant than their generals 
but he who in this place first knew rest found subjects base and inactive unwarlike unlearned untractable neither covetous of fame nor fearless of danger creatures with the names of men but with qualities rather brutal than rational yet even these he polished from their native ruggedness and breaking out like a new sun to illumine the minds of a people dispelled their night of hereditary darkness and by force of his invincible influence taught them to conquer even the conquerors of germany other princes have commanded victorious armies this commander created them exult o nature for thine was this prodigy blush o art at a hero who owed thee nothing footnote fourteen memoirs de la margrave de Berrieth. footnote fifteen the empress gave birth to a son shortly after this letter was written end of chapter twenty one